0: You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton, and I'm a psychologist. i been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps, i delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Obviously, the kind of things we talk about in this podcast are widely written about, widely spoken of. Indeed, if you look at statistics from the so-called self-help industry or personal development industry, you will find that it is a multi-billion dollar per year business. The horrible thing about The statistics when you do look at it is that most people who are customers of this multi-billion dollar per year business are repeat customers. In other words, they keep buying, keep buying, keep buying, keep reading, keep listening and never start living. It reminds me many years ago of a client, a friend of mine, who used to regularly send me his most recently favorite book, I want you to read this. He said, it's so wonderful. There are so many nuggets, gems of wisdom in it. And in the end, I rang him and I said, Peter, stop buying books. Stop sending me the books what you're doing is akin to in the good old days when we used to collect all the holiday brochures for all the various exotic destinations that we could go to back in the 70s and 80s, they weren't that exotic. Collecting all those brochures, never buying an airline ticket, never taking a holiday. He was reading and reading, he was listening as well and tuning into stuff. And he was just amassing information and never putting it into practice. Now, I know that a number of people have recommended books to me that involve the word monk, either in the title or in the author. For example, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, a catchy title, I grant you that, not a recommended read, or Think Like a Monk. Apparently, that is one of the latest offerings of the genre, self-help or personal development. Now, I haven't read it, so I don't know what it's about, so I can't recommend it one way or another, but let's consider those two titles for just a moment. There seems to be an inference that we need some monk-like behavior in our lives. Now, you and I know that we talk at length, and I encourage at length my clients to meditate. And meditation is obviously one of the practices that monks use in the development of their spirituality, for want of a better word. We can use our minds in that way, but none of us, none of us, and nobody that I have ever met wants to live. Like a monk. So, what's the point in thinking like a monk, or what is the point in even alluding to the far off hills being greener if you were actually a monk like individual? Now, I need to pause myself there for just a moment because one of my recommended books is a little book called The Miracle of Mindfulness by the late great Thich Nhat Hanh, who was a monk. But it's a set of instructions for living your daily life in an appropriate way. Now, living your daily life is what this podcast is all about. Making your ordinary everyday life an extraordinary everyday life is what this podcast is all about. And what I want to talk about in this episode is navigating your way through that ordinary everyday life, ducking and diving some of the normal crazy people that you will meet along the way, dealing with them, getting what you want from them. I know that sounds terrible, but I'll come back to that in a minute. And ensuring that you move through your day in a way that is most effective and least effortful. So we can learn from spiritual practitioners like Thich Nhat Hanh in this regard. We can learn from people who have mastered their state of mind, who, or should I say, who are constantly in the pursuit of mastering their state of mind. I'm not 100% sure that anybody ever does master their state of mind, but we can certainly learn from people who are on that adventure. And by virtue of the fact that I'm talking to you and you're listening to me, we together are on that adventure. And one of the key points, obviously, that I want to make is by virtue of the fact that I am talking to you, you're not on your own you are traveling this adventure with like-minded people. Indeed, just as an aside, one of the key benefits that owners of my online program, The Psychology of Success, get out of that program is the way in which like-minded people actually get together on Zoom regularly to learn from each other, support each other, and enable everyone move forward. Now, it is not I, uh, I need to clarify this. It is not some kind of self-help group. It is not some support group. It is a group of fellow travelers who are all there to help everybody else forward in their own inimitable way. Some people say nothing. Some people will say quite a lot. But that, 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 Sorry, that's, that's ever so slightly an aside, but it isn't really because these are ordinary, everyday people. None of them is a monk. It's not quite true, there is one online program owner who is a monk, but most of them are not monks. Most people realize that like the vast majority of people in this world in which we live, they have relationships, they have responsibilities, they have what they might consider to be cares. Responsibility is often synonymous with care. But once you begin to use your mind in a different way. You realize that responsibilities relate to people and things that you have to look after and stuff you have to do, but they're not cares. Because to care, to worry, about something that you have to do or to worry about somebody who is, for example, in your care, like a child, for example, that is going to make caring for the child so much more difficult, because what you're trying to do, trying being the operative word, is care for them through the worry, and that makes things more effortful. Our goal in life Your goal in life and my goal in life is to ensure that we do what we need to do during the course of the day with least effort and most effectiveness. Now, what science has told us most recently in the form of a variety of neuroscientific studies is that the more effortless we become, the more effective what we're doing actually becomes the more impact it has on the outcomes that we're trying to achieve and the more impact it has on those around us. The greater presence we have as a result of being focused on what we're doing in the here and now, the more that presence rubs off on those around us. Let's take a couple of simple examples. Again, as always, from my own clients or program owners. Three summers ago, I think it was, I was asked to work with somebody one-to-one on Zoom. They had just got a big job in a leadership position and they were concerned that they weren't leadership material. Now, let's just pause for a minute and think of the madness of that. They'd been selected for the leadership role by a panel of people in an organization, a high-performance organization, that expected great things of their leaders. They'd given him the job, and he was worried that he didn't have the leadership qualities that were required for the job. They obviously thought he had them. Isn't it amazing how we put ourselves down? And we've talked about that at length before as well, and we know why we put ourselves down, and we know why it is so mad that we should put ourselves down by dwelling on things that happened long ago in our formative years. But that is an aside in the context of what I'm talking about here today. This guy came to me and he said, I want, to, uh, want six one-to-one sessions with you so that I can develop the requisite leadership skills. So we talked as we always do when I work one-to-one with anybody about the power of being present in the moment. Or I put it another way just a minute ago, the power of presence. We had our first session. A week later, we had our second session. And four days later, because certain things were happening in his job, we had our third session. So we are 10 days into this process, if I can put it like that. And on the 10th day, he said to me, something amazing is happening. He said, everything is so much easier at home. Doing what I need to do to look after, in particular, one of my teenage children who is difficult, is so much easier. He said, I'm just saying things and doing things in a way that he seems to be actually open to my suggestions. Whereas in the past, we were rubbing off each other like sandpaper. The abrasiveness between us was incredible. Sparks would fly. He said, but even lovelier than that, they were his exact words. He said, my wife has told me that over the last 10 days, I have become a much nicer person. I don't know what that meant in practical terms. I didn't want to know what he was like beforehand. The fact of the matter was that other people around him were benefiting from his presence. And this is one of the the most practical benefits of turning up to our own life in the here and now. This is one of the most practical benefits of using our minds in a way, in perhaps you might say a monk-like way, free of the cares of the world, fully aware of the responsibilities of our world, but as a result of having freed ourselves from those cares through our presence, we are suddenly just doing what we need to do in a less effortful and more effective way as a result of our presence. You see, when we're using our minds normally, We know what we have to do, very often it's uncomfortable, so we don't do it at all, and that makes matters worse, and then we get annoyed with ourselves for not doing it, and then we feel guilty about not doing it, and feel even guiltier about being annoyed with ourselves for not doing it, and goes on and on and on, madness, utter madness, the kind of stuff on which a normal crazy mind operates, swirling thought, tying ourselves in knots when I'm using my mind normally, say I actually decide I am going to do something that I know I need to do, I will do it through the fog of thought that I prefer not to have to do this. Or I might think what I have to do is difficult. Or I might think I don't know how I'm going to say what I need to say to get the other person to listen, so I put my foot in it and say the wrong thing. Why? Because instead of doing what I'm doing, I'm thinking while I'm trying to do what I'm doing, and the thinking creates the struggle. You know, know, we've had these conversations before about stress. There's no such thing as stress in your life. The stress comes from thinking how difficult it is what you're doing, thinking about whether you're up to doing what you think is difficult. That's where the stress comes from. And as we know from previous conversations, that stress will actually kill you. We know this for a fact, I mean, we've talked before about how stress impacts the cardiovascular system, the digestive system, the immune system. You know that if there is something that you have to do which is difficult or about which you are uncomfortable or nervous, you'll actually feel it in your body. You'll feel it in your stomach. You and I know, we've all experienced how being worried about something or being, quote unquote, stressed over something has an immediate and often observable impact on the digestive system. Everybody gets flutters in their stomach. Some people get physically ill one way or another, we won't go into the details, there's no merit, but we all have had those experiences where our digestive system acts up as a result of what's going on in our heads. What is less obvious to us is that every time we're having those little thoughts in our head, even if our digestive system isn't acting up, those little thoughts are compromising our cardiovascular system. There is an incredible piece of research done in the United States in the early 1990s that shows that every patient in every cardiovascular unit in every hospital on the east coast of the United States could tell their physician exactly why they had a heart attack or a coronary incident. It wasn't because there was something wrong with their heart, It was because there was something wrong with their heart or cardiovascular system as a result of oh my business is going down the drain or my marriage is breaking up or I have difficult children. There was always a reason for it and they could always pinpoint it. Why? Because the straw had broken the camel's back and the buildup of low-level everyday drip, drip, drip stress that damages, ruins, destroys the cardiovascular system, the immune system and the digestive system had to tip them over into a hospital bed in a cardiovascular care unit. This is the stuff we do to ourselves when we are not, <laughs> might as well use the expression, thinking like a monk. The fact of the matter is though, that even thinking that I should think like a monk is suggestive. I did an advanced session with 10 people uh, last week, an advanced meditation workshop that comprised of five group Zoom sessions, one each day last week, and one-to-ones beforehand and one-to-ones afterwards that I'm working through at the moment. And in the middle of our group sessions last week, one of the people on the session said, I was actually wondering to myself between yesterday's session and today's session, would there be merit in going off to retreat center and actually giving up the job that I have and and, and becoming something akin to a monk? Now, it didn't take long and I didn't have to remind her that she has two children and she had kind of responsibilities to them. And as I said to her at the time, even Buddhist monks know that thinking like a monk and living like a monk doesn't put bread on the table. Buddhist monks go out with their begging bowl every day so that they can collect enough money to eat that evening. We're practical people. This whole thrust of what I do, this podcast, all my work over the last 26 years is, as I said earlier on, about ordinary people living their ordinary lives. But because they're using their minds differently, they're living their ordinary lives in an extraordinary way. They become, I suppose, superhuman. Now, I actually mean that. I mean that for the simple reason that if you go back over some of our earlier episodes in this podcast series, you will discover where we talk about how our minds evolved, how the modern human mind evolved. And it evolved in an environment where we were hunter-gatherers, where we needed to always be alert to the possibility of threats, where we were always fine-tuned for stress actually. And once that saved our lives seven or 8,000 years ago, as I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, that's killing us in the 21st century. The human mind evolved over a period of between 1.8 million and 10,000 years ago. And we're living in the 21st century with a mind that was designed for hunting for tonight's dinner and being alert enough to ensure that we didn't end up being someone else's dinner this evening. We made it back safely to the camp, and we made it safely back to our bed. We made it through the day the mind evolved in that way so that the species could survive. And indeed, as a result of surviving, it thrived. Your mind, as it evolved, is designed for survival. Your mind is not designed to enable you achieve your goals and objectives. Your mind is certainly designed to prevent you bringing about change in your life, actually to prevent you or change averse for all kinds of evolutionary reasons, not least of which is that were we to go looking for change in our lives, we would put ourselves at risk. We might put ourselves in harm's way. We might compromise the key goal that we had as human beings to survive. So your mind is designed to not achieve your goals. Your mind is designed to stop you changing your life. Your mind is not designed for you to be happy designed for none of those things. The mind you have, the mind that nature intended, has stopped you in your tracks from doing all the things that your heart desires. But but you and I have an evolutionary advantage because you and I have taken steps to manage our own personal evolution. I'm deadly serious about this. Because if you have meditated for even five straight days, the latest research shows that your brain is a different shape from the way in which the normal brain evolved. No longer are you designed to see a threat around every corner. Now you are designed to be aware of potential threats, but you are designed to be aware of every opportunity around every corner and obviously the ones that are staring you in the face as well but more than that the more you meditate and the more you tune your mind in the more you tune your mind up the more you play a creative role in the opportunities that are before your very eyes as well we know from the modern science of quantum physics that we are energetic beings in an energetic universe and if I am to coin that phrase, thinking like a monk, I'm pouring my energy into the here and now, rather than pouring my energy into the cares of the world, as a result of which the energy of the universe is going to respond to me. There's a whole body of research and science around understanding how the energy interchange works in the real world our ordinary lives every day so that we can make those ordinary lives extraordinary. There's a whole body of research and investigation around how synchronicity works or what synchronicity is, and most importantly, what our individual role is in creating synchronicity. In other words, bringing to pass the things that we need in our lives, the bits of information we need in our lives, the people we need to bump into in our lives that will move us towards what our heart desires. This is so different, so different to the way in which the normal mind basically, doesn't operate at all. So, when you meditate, what you're doing is you are giving yourself an evolutionary advantage. It's not just a psychological advantage. It's not just a neurological advantage. It is not just the advantage of being more tuned in to what is going on in the here and now. You are actually a superhuman being. And the result of that is that people around you will be begin to notice the difference as i mentioned earlier on and my friend whose wife noticed the difference whose delinquent teenage son noticed the difference you are going to begin to and this is a quote not just be a superhuman being you are actually going to super surprise yourself why and i'm quoting directly from a number of different client stories at this point in time you're going to start doing what you need to do without fear of doing it. You're going to start saying what you need to say without questioning whether you should say it or not. You're going to start taking the action that you need to take even if it would otherwise make you feel uncomfortable. The key point is that you would only think it would make you feel uncomfortable. In other words, you think it would take you outside your comfort zone because your thinking mind, the old evolutionary mind, was always designed to keep you inside your comfort zone so people end up saying to me I said something and I don't know where it came from it just came out my mouth and it was just the right thing to say at that moment in time and I listened to myself saying and I said to myself god that's not me or I don't know where that came from I've amazed myself people say to me I've I did things that I never thought I would do. People say to me, I've made decisions that didn't feel like decisions at all. Things were just the obvious things to do. They just came to me. We talked about that when we talked about my moving to France over the last couple of episodes of this podcast. The fact of the matter is that when we are present, when we are in the zone, when we are continually training ourselves to be present and in the zone, in that state, of mind, we are moving our own personal evolution forward. First of all, we are taking control for the first time in our adult lives, or actually perhaps for the first time in our lives, of our attentional spotlight. That's that's what modern psychology calls the part of the brain that pays attention to the reality of the here and now. In the ordinarily evolved brain, the attentional spotlight is held in reserve for that proverbial lion or tiger leaping from the bushes. When we meditate, we engage that attentional spotlight. In other words, we actually turn the thing on, we ensure that in the moment while we're meditating, this part of the spotlight is shining on what we are seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling or tasting, depending on which senses we are using. When we are, as John Kabat-Zinn in the University of Massachusetts Medical School who developed mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy said, when we're coming to our senses. In other words, when we're meditating, we have turned this on. We've turned it on and we know what's going on. Not only do we turn it on when we meditate, neuroscience has established that through regular meditation, this comes on every day. It comes on when we're not meditating because this part of the brain, the actual neurons and neural pathways, the axons in these parts of the brain, actually restructure themselves. They take on a new shape, a new form, because we're using our minds differently. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about taking charge of your own personal evolution. But that's only the beginning. For the simple reason that modern neuroscience has now established that the more I pay attention to the here and now, this is going to sound obvious when I say it the way I'm about to say it, the more I understand what's going on and the more I know what I need to do and the more I know what I need to say, and obviously the more I know the things that I should avoid doing and saying. But this actually is as a result of structural changes in the subcortical brain the animal brain, the part of our brain that enabled us to survive in evolutionary times. So the more we meditate, the more we are restructuring this part of the brain, the more we are repurposing this part of the brain for our 21st century life so that It knows what's going on in the moment, just like it knew what was going on in the moment seven or eight thousand years ago when we were confronted by a man or woman eating tiger. Now it knows what's going on in the moment relative to the goals, hopes, dreams, hearts, desires that we actually have now in the 21st century. It knows what's going on, knows what opportunities are before us. It knows what we need to do and say so that we create opportunities, create those synchronicities that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and create the opportunities that I talked about a few moments ago. It knows what we need to do. Why? Because through our training, through our meditation, we have taken our personal evolution a quantum leap forward. This all begs the obvious question. Why do people take up meditation and put it down again? Why do people actually meditate maybe for eight or 10 weeks, I'm talking about some of my clients now, discover the life-changing benefits of meditation and put it down again? I think the reason is actually quite simple. There are a couple of them. First of all, we're surrounded by normal crazy people who would much prefer if we weren't abnormal. would much prefer if we were ordinary instead of extraordinary. Extraordinary people make ordinary people very uncomfortable, and they'll claw at us to bring us back. That's the first reason. The second reason is that sometimes it takes some time for the benefits of our restructured brain to become apparent to us. And in the society in which we now live, we like to have our cake and eat it very quickly. We like to get our jollies straight away. And sometimes meditation can be an ever so slightly slow burn. That's why you need to stick at it. And thirdly, there is comfort in sticking around with the people that were comfortable with us being normal, crazy people. In other words, we have an awful lot going against us. And what we actually need to do is man or woman up and ensure that every day we do the little that it takes to move ourselves along on this adventure of a lifetime that will not just change your life, but it'll change the lives of those around you. What we need to do is take a structured approach, a disciplined approach. We need a modicum of commitment. Four, and I'll leave you with this thought. Only a fool would say, I'm happy being unhappy. Only a fool would say, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. Only a fool would say, it's okay to be stuck. Only a fool would say, there are loads of things I would love in my life, but they're unrealistic, not for me. Only a fool would choose normal craziness of ordinary everyday life. And the carefree bliss of an extraordinary life. The extra simply being that I've done what it takes to turn up to my own life in the here and now, as a result of which I can live now, I can live today, can live my life today to the full. You've been listening to To Succeed Just Let Go. To get involved join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough, called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit wwwwillie org